The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together, we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth and your recovery journey. Now, today's show is meant to be an interactive discussion, so if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and comments. So today's program, Carry the Message, Not the Mess, talks about this thing that happens when we're in active addiction, when we had this singleness of purpose in our lives, which was feeding our addiction, and this left our lives in a mess. But now, since we're in recovery, we have a different focus and a purpose, helping others. So while we work to maintain our own sobriety, bigger than that is our desire to carry a message to those who still suffer. So we'll begin today by sharing what singleness of purpose means to us now, as well as what it was like in the past when we lacked focus and purpose in active addiction. And then we'll move into what it means to be of service once we've gotten some focus in recovery. And after the break, we'll share what we learned along the way that keeps us happy and joyous and free today. So Lonnie, when you think of singleness of purpose, what comes to mind for you now? Well, you know, when I first heard that, I thought, well, that's boring, you know, because it sounds like one thing, focus on one thing, focused attention. And perhaps that's that's what um, what it was meant to be at that point in time. But when I first heard that, I thought all the things that it was not, you know, all the things that I was not. I had no focus, you know, and a fear of missing out. And, you know, I had all these unfinished projects in my life, um, you know, and I have stories about some of those and and being all spread out. And so, you know, when I think of fit singleness of purpose today, I think about what am I supposed to be doing? You know, what is my job here today? Um, and it was not like that when I was in my addiction. I was I was focused entirely on getting what I needed when I needed it. Yeah, it's almost, I feel like uh, things are almost backwards now for me uh, than when they were then, because I have more of a a forward looking, kind of like you're saying, it's sort of a, you know, what is the next right thing way of looking at life instead of, you know, what do I have to scramble to make sure it gets taken care of so it doesn't 
turn into a huge problem. You know, what's the least that I can do to have this be okay um, and and move on to something else because my attention spans seem really short. And and like you said in the introduction, really singleness of purpose, the one that rises to the top. Now, you know, I, I don't want to oversimplify uh, my life. Certainly there were a lot of things going on, but it's still true that um, kind of at the top of the list was making sure that uh, I had opportunity uh, to drink, that there was enough to drink. Um, I never would have thought about it uh, that way at that time. In fact, if someone had said that to me, I think I would have been pretty mad about it because that's not how I saw it. I kind of saw everything else but that. And in looking back on it now, I still see all those other things, but I see that carrying through all of it. I mean, I was good at it. I was professional, as we say, retired professional drinker. So uh, I got good at uh, making sure that I had what I needed to the point where it seemed invisible, you know, like addictions do. Uh, for those of us who have the addiction, they seem invisible. Um, but in hindsight, it was kind of a top of the list item. Make sure that I had what I needed. Don't run out. I think that, um, you know, I think that that um, singleness of purpose for me means what is my goal and what am I doing to get to that goal, which speaks to exactly what you were talking about. My focus at that point in time, my goal at that point in time was to to do what I needed to to have the, you know, the addiction be fed. But, you know, there was there were other things that I was doing, too. I, I couldn't figure out why I wasn't able to have a job more than three years, for example. I was all spread out in my interests. I liked this. I liked that. I liked something else. And I knew a whole lot, a whole lot of different subjects, a little bit about each one of them, you know. And so I, I didn't have a single purpose to develop a deep knowledge in a career. I, I was kind of spread out. And that that um, when I look back on that, of course, then, you know, the drinking and drugging that went along with that to make it all okay, uh, that kept me kind of in this endless uh, hamster cage, if you will, just spinning out. And, you know, I know the way that it showed up in the world. It looked like if I know so much about all this stuff, you know, it's it's my ego, you know, trying to make up for my insecurities. Yeah, I, I had uh, something come to mind for singleness of purpose. I was much more oriented um, before I got in recovery toward making money. You know, I, I I had money. I was had gotten good at making money. I wanted to make more money. It seemed like there was never enough uh, money, and that became, um, at least internally, I don't know that that's something that would have been apparent on the outside, but internally, um, the idea of always wanting to earn more money. I'm not sure what it was exactly uh, that I was after with that. Certainly more uh, security in the world, um, more prestige perhaps, or more fun toys. Uh, I don't know, but I've, I've definitely felt like I've always had what I needed. And I know today now looking back on it, that um, although my income is not what it was then, I could care less. I still have everything I need. I don't feel any qualitative difference in my life now um, as it was back then, uh, which is very strange to, to say, but that's, uh, that's how it's been for me. Uh, I, I feel today that I have everything that I need. I lack for nothing. Um, you know, God provides. Uh, if if something's important, I want to choose to focus time and energy on it, then I can uh, achieve whatever it is that I set out to achieve. And it's just kind of in a sense of ease 
about it all. Uh, when before it seemed like, uh, you know, maybe there's only one measure, more money equals better, and that's what I need to do. Uh, now money is one factor among several, and um, it's not the number one thing, and I don't need more. Uh, to be better. I'm always open to more, of course, but it's not uh, it's it's not a drive like it used to be. It's not a um, it's not a I don't have a singleness of purpose with it like I felt like I did before, and that was in a, in a negative kind of way. You know, um, what would you? And not quite an obsession, but you know, there is a concept of a singleness of purpose that's not super healthy. That's what that was like for me. And so for me now, when I uh, arrived in the program and was told that singleness of purpose means I'm only here for one thing, and that is to get clean sober. And that is, of course, that orientation changes depending where I am. If, I'm, if I am in a recovery program, that's why I'm there. I'm not there to find a date or to, to get a banker or find a ride or make a new best friend. You know, some of those things can happen because of the networking and things of that nature. But my only purpose for being there is to learn how to recover from this seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And the only way I'm going to learn that is by people, you know, by listening to the people that have walked that same path before me and say, well, this is how I did it. Maybe it'll work for you. I remember hearing something uh, from a guy that was often in my first uh, home group, Don, Don F. Don had uh, 40 plus years of sobriety and um, he was one of those characters, you know, he was one of those people that who gets through to foggy minded newcomers like like I was. And Don uh, really put that in perspective, that singleness of purpose for the program. Um, he illustrated it so well uh, when he put it this way. And I think someone had shared this with him. He said, if, you're, if your head hits the pillow at the end of the day and you haven't taken a drink, you win. That's all there is to it. It's as simple as that. Nothing else matters. If you go to bed and you haven't had a drink, you won. Get up the next day and do it again. And the way that he stated it so simply, that, that really helped me to understand that, yeah, that, that really is all that matters right now early in recovery uh, and and I'll always be grateful to Don for um, sharing that, for for putting it out there so strongly and so simply, so that I could really get that message that that said this is about addiction recovery. That's the singleness of purpose here. And that was illustrated to me when I was told, um, you know, that that's all we talk about. We don't talk about. Uh, in the meeting, we don't talk about all of these other things. We don't talk about politics, and we don't talk about, you know, the school board, and we don't talk about how, how the kids are doing. We don't talk about, you know, all the problems that my other half has brought into my life. You know, I mean, that's part of the mess that we bring in, this emotional um uh, psychological, physical mess that we walk in the door as because everything's in disarray and in chaos and disorganized that uh, we were only to talk about this one thing. We were to focus on me and my recovery. What do I need to do next? And for me, it was critical. I had to have that reinforcement because my mind was so scattered and it would follow any little rabbit trail uh, and I would argue with anybody about anything because I thought I was right. You know, I had this opinion that I was right about it. And, uh, you know, and I had to be reined in. I had to be told, no, we don't talk about that here. We're only doing this. Yeah, I, I, I love that aspect of the singleness of purpose. And I'd heard it said that uh, 
you know, and, and for me, the the twelve step groups, AA, that that it's not group therapy. It's not whatever is on your mind. It's whatever's on your mind related to recovery, alcohol, alcoholism, and recovery from alcoholism. Um, I had a, a home group early on that uh, it was, oh, I don't know, let's just say it had a personality. And in this home group, sometimes we'd spend a whole lot of time talking about curtains or dogs or something like that. And I remember there were some... Um, some more uh, by the book old timers that would stop in from time to time. It would drive them crazy. And uh, when it was their turn to share, uh, they did their best to help everyone understand. Uh, this is not group therapy. You know, we're here and this is AA. We're here to talk about alcohol and alcoholism recovery. Uh, it didn't work. Uh, the next day we talk about dogs again. But um, that I value that singleness of purpose. I'm glad that the people who have been around for a while are there to to help us when we're new and say, look, uh, you know, we're not talking about uh, politics here. We're not talking about, um, you know, what what's going on in our town. We're here to talk about uh, our our individual. We're here to share our strength and hope related to addiction recovery, specifically alcohol. And that's it. Singleness of purpose. Yeah, and we don't even know people's last names or what they do for a living, you know, and that helps us stay focused. So now we know what it's like, you know, to be in this chaos and all and needing this focus and the purpose. What's it mean to carry the message but not the mess? What's it mean to live in service to others? Well, in Unity, we affirm that we need to do more than just know what's right. We have to actually do what's right. Yeah, and this is the spiritual principle that we might call right action. Not just any action and not a lack of action, but taking divinely guided action or what we might call doing the next right thing. So Unity's fifth principle states it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. And so given that, what does it mean to carry the message of recovery? Dan, what did that look like for you? Well, some of the some of the things that it looked like um, early in recovery for me, it it still looks like um, things as simple as uh, I learned early on that that one way to carry the message is just to show up at a meeting. You know, you, you don't. I didn't have to do anything special. I didn't have to be anything other than what I was. I didn't have to uh, impress anyone, and I might not even have to talk very much. Uh, I could just listen. But by my simple presence and showing up, that was uh, an act of carrying the message that was helpful to others in ways that were you know, probably quite invisible to me, just like the presence of others at the meeting was helpful uh, to me in ways that they might not have been able to see. So, uh, so it can be as simple as just showing up and being part of the community. I can carry the message that way. You know, and I think that that's really an underrated way of, of being of service. You know, people say things – I've heard people say things like, oh, I don't need a meeting today. I don't need to go. But I tell you, when I, I got to the program, then my life fell apart. You know, I, I had kept the outsides together pretty well until I got there. But I was just hanging on by a thread. And within a few months, my grandmother died. And then a couple of years, my father died. Then my mom died. And then I went through bankruptcy. And then I had cancer. And I tell you what, I counted on those same people being there that I had learned to trust, that I had learned would tell me what they did when these situations happened to them, that would 
that would support me in whatever emotional state I was in when I showed up. And, you know, if somebody, if they'd all said that day, oh, I don't need a meeting today, you know, where would I have been? And so, you know, I think of that today when I go to meetings. I may not need a meeting for my own emotional or mental stability, but I need to be there in support of other people. And that is an act of service. Another way I had learned early on to carry the message, and uh, this was a little more indirect, um, we can carry the message by the way that we show up in the world. Uh, So simple examples of, you know, uh, letting someone pull in ahead of you out of a parking lot uh, when traffic is busy, or at the grocery store, maybe let someone go ahead of you in line if they seem anxious or if they only have a few items. Um, doing things like uh, putting my cart away in the in the parking lot of the grocery store, maybe even taking one other cart that's not mine and putting that one away also, you know, picking up the trash. Um, th- there's so many little things that we can do all under the category of how I show up in the world. It's a, ma- it's a matter of what, uh, you know, in unity terms, what consciousness am I bringing to the, any situation? Because I can be of service anywhere, anytime, uh, if I'm willing to be awake and aware and notice uh, what's going on around me and, and think, you know, well, what could I do here that would be uh, helpful? So I can carry the message outside uh, the walls of the p- particular program or even outside of addiction recovery in general, uh, just by the way, I choose to show up in the world at large. And it, it makes a big difference. Uh, it made a big difference for me. You know, it didn't matter if it was in a like a, a recovery meeting environment or if it was somewhere that had nothing to do uh, with recovery. The way that I showed up and the actions that I took uh, helped support me um, on my own journey regardless of the setting. And I was told to get into service, um, not because it was my idea or because I thought it was a good idea, but because it would help me get out of my own head. You know, I was was tortured by my own thoughts, obsessive thoughts that I did not seem to be able to control at that point. And one of the ways that I was told to uh, get out of that is to help somebody else. You know, it is to to and it, these are me- examples from meetings, but they're applicable to any group setting, you know, to go and and help with the name tags, to go and, and gr- be a greeter at the door, to go help make the coffee, to go do something that gives me something to focus on besides my discomfort with whatever's going on in my own head. And so service for me oftentimes started out of self-preservation in that way. It was given to me as a gift. This will help you go do this. Yeah, I like that um, because that that we can begin, say, doing service tasks or uh, activities because I don't want to be embarrassed. You know, someone asks if I'm going to do something and I don't want to be a jerk and say, no, I'm not going to help. So I grudgingly say, OK, fine, in my head. OK, fine, I'll do it. Um, and, and I do it because I sort of think I have to. I do it because I think other people expect me to anything other than because I want to. Uh, but then I actually do the thing and realize uh, how good it feels and how easy it is just to be of service in simple ways, you know, sweep the steps, make the coffee, um, you know, arrange the chairs, hand out the books, uh, whatever it might be in, in any meeting um, situation. 
Another thing that I learned somewhat early on was to join in when, when people were taking meetings into places like into a detox facility or a jail or a shelter. Um, the one that I participated in most was taking meetings into a detox facility that was local. And, you know, and that took a lot of time. That that was more effort than going to a meeting. It took more time than going to a meeting. It was more, um, you know, I was more exposed emotionally than uh, just showing up at a meeting. But it was something that I found so fulfilling that um, even though it's almost as if every time when it came up on my calendar, I think, oh, man, why did I say I would do this? I don't want to do it, blah, blah, blah. but I do it because I said I would do it. And- so that reminds me of all the times that I didn't want to do whatever. You know, I would I would it's 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 really hard when you're self-centered and selfish like we were. When we first arrive, most of us are this me centricity. You know, I am I am who I think of first. I don't want to do this. I do want to do this, and I can recall that um, I had the same type of reluctance as you were just talking about before we, um, you know, before I started learning that this was just part of the deal. And you know, the whole thing about recovery for me is that it isn't just changing a few behaviors; it is also changing my life. It's changing not just the way that I act, but it's also changing my belief systems. It's changing my uh, emotions around things. You know, there's tools to do that. And so each of these these um, practices of suiting up and showing up as if it were is a way that, you know, whether it's suiting up and showing up in service or suiting up and showing up because I had told to be to do that, that made a difference for me. And another thing that I was thinking about was that this this self-centeredness shows up at a potluck because I changed my obsession from alcohol to food, you know, because there's always food, it seems like, in, in, a, uh, in a meeting hall of some kind. You know, we like snacks. We like our snacks. And so I would always – I would find myself first in line, and I'm going, what's that about? You know, I, I want to scope it out. I want to make sure there's enough for everybody. There's enough for me is really what I'm looking for. You know, do I need to get something first before somebody else gets it? Because how, you know, some of the dishes get emptied first. And I had to work on that. I had to work on on um, this, the piece that was said, no, you're not there to eat the food first. You're there to help serve. You know, so some of the guys that didn't get around as well, I'd fill their plates and take them their plates, you know, and, and help making the coffee and things of that nature. And I... I had to force myself to be toward the end of the the line going in to break that obsession with that. Yeah, I, I had similar experiences and uh, I, I'm here on my phone now and this is going to work out OK, I think, because all of the lights in my house just went out. But I think that this is going to work. Um, I remember uh, before and and this is another I feel like I say this a lot, but, you know, there was a lot that I was not aware of uh, when I was in active addiction. And some of this stuff, you know, it's sort of embarrassing to talk about it. I don't want to be the one that says, oh, yeah, I was totally focused on only on what I needed. Uh, I don't even like hearing that. Um, but uh, th- that's the truth of what's going on. I was out of balance is the way that I see it. I was out of balance and, and I was much more oriented toward, um, you know, making sure first that my needs got taken care of. And then if I felt like it and if I had enough energy, uh, those around me. Um, nowadays, uh, it's not as if 
my needs don't count at all. I didn't swing completely to the other side, but rather I kind of came into the middle. So I'm more, I'm more balanced in the world. I can still uh, make sure I get what I need, but at the same time, I'm also aware of what is the work that I'm doing in the world. Uh, am I showing up? Am I being of service to others? Uh, am I uh, being helpful? Am I able to take care of my needs and then set that aside enough to um, be helpful in the world in general? And 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 I lo- I like it. I love it actually. It's a much much more comfortable way to be, which makes sense because it's a balanced way to be. You know, it takes a lot of energy to always be concerned with self. And it's kind of a relief in a way, and I'm grateful for it to be able to have a healthy balance between um, what it is that I need in order to be okay and then what it is I do in the world to support others on their growth journey. You know, for me, a lot of that came down to faith, and I didn't have any when I came into the program to start with. I was not sure that anybody was going to take care of my needs but me, and so if I didn't pay attention to that and if I didn't focus on that and I didn't make it happen, my fear, of course, was that it wasn't going to happen, and so as my faith grew, as I learned that I'm going to be okay. No matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. I can I can move forward. Um, you know, that fear started to dissipate. Then I was able to let go of, of uh, thinking I had to be first for things, you know, because I think for me at least part of that orientation was a survival orientation. And when I – it was a subconscious kind of thing. Started learning that I'm, it's not all up to me. I don't have to make this happen. I'm going to be okay anyway. As I started to learn to trust a higher power, then I could let go of that. Yeah, I, I can see that, and I see that in my own life, that a lot of that was driven by fear, as we say. Um, when we talk about the the message, when I when I ask myself, what is this? You know, We're talking about carrying the message. What is the message? To me, the message is, is a message of hope, really, and of life. Certainly, it's a message of recovery. Uh, that's where we all begin, but it, it, for me, it, it expanded um, beyond that at, at some point in time, you know, probably after a few years uh, when I was really been, been um, getting on my feet and, and my mind was becoming sharper and all of that. Um, it's a message of hope and a message of life, like capital L life, uh, Unity 12 Power life. Uh, it, it's a message of Uh, love and support for others. And it's a message that says, you know, things are getting better. Things are going to get better. They're going to continue to get better. Our best days are ahead of us. I love to affirm that. And I affirm it for myself. My best days are ahead of me. Not because I know exactly what's going to happen, but because I know I'm able to enjoy things, to accept things, to roll with changes. Um, For all of those reasons, I know my best days are ahead of me. So hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from anybody that wants to call in as we continue our conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with sound healer Terry Wilder and Mystical Gong Meditations. Take some time right now and give yourself this minute of meditation. Breathe in and breathe out. Meditation, because some questions can't be answered by Google. Stop for a minute and give yourself this gift of mindfulness. Breathe in and breathe out. Slow down. Calm down. Don't worry. Don't hurry. Trust the process. To hear more healing gong meditations, visit terrywilder.com. Indian saint and mystic Kabir is quoted as saying, One drop of divine love can turn you to gold. Immerse yourself in the work of Kabir with acclaimed poet, author, and spiritual teacher Andrew Harvey in his book, Turn Me to Gold, 108 Poems of Kabir. Andrew shares the powerful and timeless words of Kabir in a way that is accessible to all with beautiful photography by Brett Hurd. This is a book you will turn to again and again. Available now at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. Tune into Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the law of attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at everydayattraction.com. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We're going to resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing singleness of purpose, what that means for us in our lives, what it means in our program, and also about carrying the message. 
And so, Lonnie, now that we know about having a purpose in life and about carrying the message, how exactly does one get there? What exactly do we do to move from a scattered life to a focused life and from living for self to carrying a message of hope to others? Well, you know, for me, that was a very long journey. Um, I, I spent a lot of years, I hate to say it, but kind of wandering around in, in what um, could metaphorically be called the wilderness. You know, I I remember for years wondering, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What, what am I supposed to be doing? And somebody pointed me to uh, a page in the literature that says um, that my purpose is to serve God and others. And so that launched me into this, okay, I'm doing is what it launched me into. I still didn't know my purpose, but I had to take that at face value. That's the only thing I had to guide me. Um, But I had this real existential angst about who am I? Why am I here? What am I doing? Because I had seemed to fail at all of these other uh, endeavors in my life. And so here I was in a 12-step program trying to pass on what, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, feeling like I'm aimless. I'm aimlessly wandering around. And so there was this point in time for me when I was um, attending like two meetings a day for weeks on end, you know, day in, day out, day in and day out. And so I decided that my purpose must be to share my experience, strength and hope with others. And so I started sponsoring people. Um, I sponsored lots of different people. And I taught from the book what the book said, but I could not embody that myself. You know, I could I could make my behavior conform, but I could not make my insides in alignment with is this my true purpose in life? So this for me was a really long journey finding my purpose. I learned somewhere along the line. This is another one of those hindsight things, um, a way to be on purpose, to stay on purpose and carry the message uh, is as simply simple as uh, having a list of people, uh, program friends to call and calling somebody. You know, many times I have heard it said and I have said and it has been said to me, you know, when when people first come in, just gather some phone numbers from uh, for me, from the, from the men in the room, and then every day call one of them. And, you know, my mind won't say why, you know, I'm uh, it feels like I'm in kindergarten or, you know, I'm a grown I'm a grown person and, and I'm, I'm being given instruction like that, that that makes me feel like I'm in kindergarten. You know, what does that have to do with anything? I'm kind of shy. I don't want to call people I don't know. It's hard enough for me just even to walk into this room, let alone call someone I don't know. That's how I felt at first. But just by picking up the phone and calling someone, I am staying on purpose and I'm carrying the message. It, it can be as simple as that. I didn't realize that that suggestion and that that practice ran so deep and it really does. It runs to the core of what it means to be in recovery and what it means to live a life that is focused and to carry the message to others. Just pick up the phone and call someone in the program. Hey, how are you doing today? I've just done both. Man, I didn't know that. And and now I see the wisdom in it. It took a while for me to come around to that. At first, it just seemed like this annoying thing that someone was making me do. Boy, I understand that. It seemed like there was an awful lot of these random suggestions that were being thrown my way. But one of the first things I was told was, if you do what we've done, you'll get what we have. And that was um, that was actually a pretty valuable piece of 
advice. I didn't have to understand why it worked. I didn't have to believe that it was going to work. I just had to do it, you know, and and so I only started with probably 51% willingness is what I tell people. You know, I didn't have to be 99.9% willing to jump in with both feet. I just had to be willing enough to pick it up, pick up the phone and do it, to go to another meeting, you know, to read another paragraph in the book, you know, to to work another step, all of those things that we're told to do. And and I I had to have input from outside observers. Um, And as I progressed in the program, I was rooted in my old way of being habits, both of thinking and habits of being. And I needed input from somebody, a mentor, a sponsor, a good friend in the program that would say, you know, you're doing that again. You know, I'm showing up with this particular attitude or I'm, I'm acting out of a particular belief system that I'm trying to shake. I can't see it. You know, it's in my blind spot. It's part of my enculturation or whatever, and it's just how I've showed up in the world. And so I needed somebody outside of me that would was willing to be honest, even if at the risk of hurting feelings or anything else, to say, uh, you know what? You said you didn't want to do this anymore, and here you are doing it again. You know, so becoming conscious of what I was doing, how I was showing up, the way I was thinking, and that's the hardest one, becoming conscious of what I'm thinking, um, you know, was, was a big element in this process for me yeah it, it does take a while and, it, and it's 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 in a way it's very simple you know just like uh what is the joke about how do you eat an elephant not that i would ever want to you know one bite at a time how how do you um how do you w- run a marathon race well first you put your left foot in front of your right foot then you put your right foot in front of your left foot and then you just repeat that it's very simple but it takes a long time um, another way that comes to mind that I was able to stay on purpose and carry the message even before I knew what I was doing is to be willing to show up early and to stay late for things, you know, like for a home group meeting, to be one of the first people there, to be able to say to uh, the meeting chair, you know, is there anything I can do to help you get set up? Even if the answer is almost always no, uh, being there, uh, being willing to do whatever needs doing. Uh, asking the question, reaching out, uh, and being available is staying on purpose and carrying the message, just like uh, making the calls was. Same thing with staying late, you know, staying late after. Uh, do we need to sweep? Uh, can I take the trash out? Does someone need to empty the coffee? Maybe I can do that or or wipe down the sink in the restroom, make sure that the lights are off or, or any number of um, small things. Um, serve the the purpose of sobriety and carrying the message by by living it by doing it and acting it out in uh, in those ways and again even long before I realized that something as simple as coming early or staying late and offering to help uh, really embodied these deep lifelong principles um, that the program is centered on and that have helped me. Uh, to grow over time, I, I didn't really know that I was engaging those things at the time. Uh, and and so when we talk about staying on purpose, carrying the message, sometimes it sounds like these are really grand things, right? I need to go get a master's degree to understand what it means and sit on a mountaintop for two months. And No, I don't have to do any of that. I can just pick up the phone. I can just show up early. That's all that it takes to get started. 
You know, I think that for me, the becoming conscious that I just spoke about was critical, but I can be conscious of all kinds of things. And if I don't choose to make any changes, nothing changes, as they say. Nothing changes, nothing changes. And so the second thing that I had to do was become intentional about the choices. Now that I'm aware that I'm doing this, I get to make a choice. And that for me happened about midway in the program where, um, you know, I've, I've, had already told somebody about all the situations in my life, and then they called me out on certain ones that were happening, and uh, I got to make this choice. And, and a particular one was – it's kind of funny now. I didn't like it at the time. Was um, So I was dating somebody, and I had been out of a relationship not very long. And my sponsor, as it happened, called me out of the blue and said, what you doing? I said, well, I'm sitting here with so-and-so, and she said – well, this is a step that separates the men from the boys. You can either keep doing what you're doing, which had been leapfrogging relationships, emotionally involved with somebody else before I'm out of the last one, uh, or you can make a different choice. And I said, oh, crap. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what, what's my choice? And she said, tell them that you're recently out of a relationship. Tell them that you are in no place emotionally to be involved with anybody else. This is just a distraction at the moment. If they're still interested in six months, give you a call. I had to do that three times. She <laughs> called me three different times, some period apart. I don't even know how far apart, but that was such a deeply ingrained pattern for me. She had to do that three times, and I'm going, oh, man. So every time now that I find myself in those kind of situations, you know, I've, I've had a habit of doing it this way. What is my intentional choice? I don't want to have to be called out three times on something. So becoming intentional about my choices. What are they? You know, I don't have to go down the same path again. I can make a different choice. Yeah, after a while, I think these things become uh, kind of, in, you know, we internalize these principles and, they, and then we start to live them in all kinds of different ways uh, in our lives, even if at first, um, you know, I, I feel like when I learn anything at first, it feels very, you know, stiff and wooden and um, almost artificial. Uh, but then after a while, um, you know, the things that were just first do this, like learning to dance, put this foot here, now do this, now do that. It doesn't feel like uh, dancing. It feels like I'm um, some kind of um, slow motion robot or something. But if you do it long enough, then everything flows together and it becomes part of, of who we are. Um, one way that I've uh, seen of carrying, carrying the message and, and staying on purpose, it has nothing at all to do uh, with recovery groups explicitly is that I'm teaching meditation um, at a local home homeschool group. One of my kids is homeschooled and there's a group and they invited me to teach uh, meditation there. So I go and, and this is reminding me of those steps. Uh, I'm teaching uh, young, you know, high school age, maybe some a little bit younger people about mindfulness. And so I had to sit down and think, you know, okay, well, what, what is this like when I first learned it? What are the steps? To this and so I write them down you know in, in kind of a bullet form and then I explain what it is and we go through it um, knowing that we you can move from this kind of stiff rote following of the quote rules uh, and if you do it enough like with a meditation practice it becomes very natural and and I, I no longer have to think about each individual step uh, implicitly it just kind of flows but that's not what it's like at first uh, at first it feels like uh, work almost and it does take a lot of focus and a lot of uh, intention and some you know stick to itiveness uh, etc but um, you know just 
showing up, being willing to show up in an environment like that, to share something like a mindfulness meditation practice with young people and to uh, walk them through the steps and then be available for help or what have you. That, that's a way that I'm on purpose in my life, which is, you know, carrying the good into the world, being an example, um, carrying hope and joy into the world and everything that I do. And to me, that is carrying the message of recovery, even though it, it's an environment that has nothing to do with recovery. I think it's just life. Another practice that was immensely helpful for me, um, it was a gratitude practice. And that had to do with, I didn't, I, I knew that I was depressed. I knew that I didn't feel good. I knew that I had this kind of sour outlook on life. And I didn't know how to do anything different. People say, stop being so negative. Well, okay, great. <laughs> you know, stop. You know, I have found for everything that I want to change, I have to stop doing something, but I have to have something to replace it, something to fill the void if I'm going to stop doing that. And so uh, this gratitude practice became um, very important to me in that way. Somebody, you know, first told me about it and they said to write 10 things. I couldn't think of two. That was how, how such a state of mind that I was in. And after a while, I got better at it. You know, and I think we've talked about this in, in previous shows, but uh, one of my favorite uh, things is just to write three things down a day, turn a page, next day you write three more down, but they can't be the same as the, as the three you wrote down the previous day. And you keep doing it that way, and it forces a deeper um, awareness of what's going on in our lives and a deeper gratitude practice. And that kind of happened when somebody told me, they said, if you woke up tomorrow – with only what was on your gratitude list, what would you have? And that that just pointed out to me that I take so many things for granted when I'm not being conscious and intentionable about writing them down. You know, and it began changing my attitude and it began changing my belief systems and it started making me look deeper than surface for for the things that um, I appreciate in my life, and it really has formed a basis for um, a basis for a practice for me. That's great advice. I don't think I've heard that that idea that says, you know, if you woke up tomorrow and all you had what's on your gratitude list, now make the list and and think what might be on it. What a great way to kind of get at. Uh, what might seem almost like the mundane. I know that my mind, uh, particularly in the past, uh, you know, wanted to find big things, wanted to focus on the big stuff and sort of completely overlook what seemed at the time like little things. Uh, when my sponsor asked me to make a gratitude list, his suggestion was start with 30 items and then call me. And, you know, like 30, like you said, I got two. This is crazy. How am I going to get to 30? Well, it forced me to, um, you know, almost to just throw in the towel and just start making things up. You know, I'm just going to put stupid stuff. Well, that, that just meant I started putting little things like I like uh, having a house that's dry. You know, that we just talked about there's a storm outside here, but I'm not wet. The wind's not blowing on me because I have this wonderful room to be in. That's great. You know, I have clothes to wear. I can take a breath. Uh, I have friends. Uh, I can make a list of many, many little things. And it's not the big things. It's the little things. Uh, one place that this really struck me hard was uh, somewhere early on in recovery, I had gotten into uh, deeply into studying prosperity principles. And it's a prosperity principle to have a life purpose. 
And gosh, at that time, I'm thinking like, you know, life purpose, capital L, capital P, curly letters, gilded letters. What is my life purpose? Like every time I say the phrase, there should be a chorus of angels. I'm looking for my life purpose. Da, da, da. And I was kind of wandering around, you know, waiting for the clouds to part or some grand thing to happen, some vision or a dream or whatever. And as it turns out, I had a teacher. And again, you know, you've mentioned several times there was a person that said to me, I had a person that said to me, uh, you don't need any of that. Just pick something. If you want to make quilts, then make quilts. That can be your life purpose. You make the very best quilts that you can make. And when she said that, it, it, you know, something happened in my mind and I was able to drop that whole, it was just kind of grandiosity in a way, drop that whole grand thinking like that, that I, that I had to come up with some huge thing that everyone would see as wonderful, that would be amazing and life-changing. And instead, just choose something that was right in front of me. You know, it's reminding me of doing the next right thing that's right in front of me and just do that and do it well, whatever it is. It's not the big things, it's the little things. But when I pay attention to the little things and appreciate the little things, I realize that my whole life is built up of these so-called little things. That's Those are the things that matter. The, the smallest stuff, going to dinner with a friend, calling somebody, uh, reading a book that I like, you know, having a... Uh, some food, little, little things. It's completely changed my way of, and it's so much easier. I know I said that before. It is so much easier to live this way. It's almost, it's almost criminal. Like I'm getting away with something. Like how can life be this good and this easy? Well, it's as good and as easy as I let it be. Uh, and most of the time I'm pretty good at letting it be easy. Not all the time. I have to remind myself, but I don't need a grand life purpose with capital letters and in gold and clouds parting and angels chorus. I, I can just do what's right in front of me and, and love that. That works. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Uh, one of our co-founders, Myrtle Fillmore, has a, a, a quote in one of her books that I really, really like. And it says, there's something that you can do better than anyone else can do it. And through the loving, efficient service you can render, you will fulfill a need in the world. You know, and I think that's been paraphrased or maybe she paraphrased it by other spiritual teachers that, you know, find a find a need and fill it. You know, yeah. you have a skill, whatever that skill is, whether it's basket weaving or or whether it's preaching or whether it's teaching or whatever it is. If that's what your heart calls you to and that's what you're good at, do it. You know, and I think that I denied myself for a long time the things that I was good at because it it didn't make money or, you know, it wasn't a high prestige uh, uh, position someplace or I should, according to all these people in my mind, I should be doing this or that instead. You know, and, and when I read that in her literature, that there's something that you can do better than anyone else can do it, it kind of gave me permission to take a breath and go, oh, Okay, and because I too had this grandiose idea about what is my life purpose, and I, that's not what I have anymore. It is very much what's the next right thing? What is the next step? Okay, if I'm doing that, that must be because that's what needed doing. It's almost like that grand sense of a life purpose. That's what 
someone outside. So that's what someone else would put in your biography. You know, if they were writing about your life, that has nothing to do with the way that I live my life. Um, you know, that that's that's just trying to make something um, sound exciting or, or big or something like that uh, when it's not. Uh, here's another simple way I like, and I and I love the stuff that when I find something, when I find a way to stay on purpose and carry the message outside of the program, then I know that, that I'm really, there's something going on here. I don't know why I love it so much, but I do. And this is something I learned in the program about being in the secret service. You know, say, I'm a member of the secret service. Well, what does that mean? Uh, that just means I do little things. Like I, I feed someone's parking meter. Uh, I leave change in a vending machine, even if I didn't buy anything in the vending machine. Um, I, I do little things that nobody notices that I'm doing, and I don't tell anyone that I've done them, knowing that I've created some moment of joy for somebody that, that might even seem small. But then again, like we've been saying, it's not the big things that matter. It's the it's it's all of the little things that add up over time. That's what matters. And so being a member of the Secret Service, doing something uh, nice for somebody, you know, drop a dollar on, on the floor in the grocery store. You know, it's not enough money that everyone's going to freak out and turn it in, see if the owner shows up. It's a dollar. So you, you just pick it up. It's like you won the lottery or something. All those little things that we can do. And again, this has if this applies in the program. Yes, but it has nothing to do with the program only. You know, this is about life. This is about creating joy in the world where there was none. And you can literally create joy where there wasn't any before by by a simple act. I think that's uh, amazing and wonderful. And I love to do that uh, whenever it occurs to me. One of the things that works for me and the people in my life is to practice um, integrity. And, and, you know, I had to grow into that. And what that meant for me was that first I started with words and actions had to match. And then I had to get my motives in alignment because I can make my words and actions match even if I want to do or be somewhere else, <laughs> you know. And then I had to get my intentions and my belief systems in alignment. And those things, um, when I can do all of those things, I find I don't make promises that I can't keep, you know, that I follow up and I support people the way I say I will, um, that I don't feel bad about it. I feel good about it. You know, oh, man, why am I doing this? You know, it's such an inconvenience. I don't have that kind of thinking going on. And so uh, that was something that was very helpful for me when I was taught to do that. Yeah, and I think what we're talking about here in many ways is just looking for opportunities to serve. And they don't have to be big, grand things. You know, they can be little things. They can be the the secret service like we're talking about. Pick up the phone and call somebody, um, do a nice thing, put someone else's cart away, um, all kinds of little things uh, can really add up. And I, that's what we're talking about, looking for the opportunities and that they're around us all over, just like our gratitude list. Uh, it seems like there's nothing, but when we really get it, all of a sudden there's a flood of little things to be positive about. So now let's move into action. We've been talking a lot today about being focused and taking guide divine what I think of as divinely guided action. So here's something simple that if you're listening, you can do right now and into this week to gain focus and purpose in your life and to better carry the message of recovery and hope. So think of an area in your life where maybe you'd like to be more purposeful. Maybe there's a way that you could better carry a message of recovery and hope 
Or maybe you could be more intentional about the choices that you make when you're out with friends. Or maybe there's something helpful that you could do in your own recovery group or church or civic group. What's important uh, right now is just to pick one thing, a simple thing, that we can take into a quiet time of prayer and meditation. So we simply relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. There's no big thing to accomplish here. So for an example, let's use uh, being of service in our home group or, or church or civic group as an example. So we use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to that feeling of being held back or ineffective. You could say something like, playing small with my talents and energy is not the truth of who I am. Repeat it a few times in your head or say it aloud, but say it with conviction. Playing small with my talents and energy is not the truth of who I am. And follow that up immediately with a bold, positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I'm a radiating center of God's energy and passion for good. I serve with joy and zeal. So then take a few quiet moments just to relax and take it easy. Give thanks for your new experience in the world and then move on with your day. Playing small with my talents and energy is not the truth of who I am. I am a radiating center of God's energy and passion for good. I serve with joy and zeal. So we've come to the end of our time together today, and we hope that you found something to help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on our journey. Thanks to the listeners and the callers, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for your insights shared in our discussion today. And listeners, again, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind Body Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.